you know, with, with the cloud, you can spin up a data center overnight, but some of those same disciplines, architecture and security and thinking through how you're going to govern the creation, who's going to approve, you know, how are you going to approve, you know, big new spend before it happens? Um, how are you going to forecast? Technology is transforming how we think, how we lead, and how we win. From InterVision, this is Status Go, the show helping IT leaders move beyond the status quo, master their craft, and propel their IT vision. In a 2020 survey conducted by IDG, they found that controlling cloud costs was the most common challenge keeping organizations from taking full advantage of public cloud. There is a lot of complexity, a lack of visibility, and often cloud teams are too busy to keep up with the technical and operational processes required to control and reduce costs. In this episode of Status Go, two of InterVision's cloud experts lay out some of the fundamental ways you can work towards reducing cloud costs. Dustin Milberg, field CTO of Cloud Services, and John Gray, CTO, bring you a candid conversation full of action items to help you rein things in if you're already in the cloud or plan ahead if you're not quite there yet. No matter where you are in your cloud journey, there is something in this conversation for you. So John, over the last, so I've been at InterVision now about six months and every single conversation I get into in some way, shape or form seems to come back to this conversation around uh, managing costs in the cloud and managing uh, a responsible model and establishing a responsible model. So, but it's interesting, I, I've got my own thoughts on this, but before I share, I'd love to hear your thoughts on what, why do you think organizations are struggling so much to control their costs, especially when it comes to the consumption of cloud? I think there's a variety of reasons. Um, yeah, I think a lot sort of in start on this journey to the cloud without a lot of discipline. Um, sometimes it's shadow IT that gets there for them rather than the IT group. Um, lots of reasons, but I think it's also on the, actually sort of, it's been helped in a bad way by the cloud providers themselves, like AWS, their salespeople running around, telling everybody how easy it is, doing a little bit of uh, training, a bit of POC work, and off you go. And then people try to you know, get wheelbarrow loads of applications into the cloud in a lift and shift haphazard kind of way, expecting that they're going to save a ton of money, and they don't for you know, all kinds of reasons. Um, and then it's really hard to see what you're spending money on if you don't go about it in a sort of a somewhat methodical way. Um, the billing that comes at you out of the cloud providers is, you know, it's down to like the subatomic level. It's really hard to see what you're paying for. So, you know, switching from CapEx where you paid for servers up front, you know, every few years, and it was very easy to sort of understand, you know, it may not be easy to write the check, but it was easy to understand what you were paying for. And, you know, then you go, okay, another five years or three years, we're going to have to buy a bunch more of those. Now you're paying you know, after you know after you've used after you've consumed at the end of the month, right in a sort of utility billing style, and it's like you're digging into well what happened why you know and you've got this 
sprawl of services that you are now using, or maybe people have started something up and left it on and it's costing you money and you don't know. Um, I think a lot of the discipline of um, that went into people creating data centers, right? An actual physical building that you had to get power into and you had to secure physically. And then you had to design it and bring hardware and software into you know, wheel in servers physically and then make sure that you brought those up in a secure manner and then you brought your applications into it. You know, with the with the cloud, you can spin up a data center overnight, but some of those same disciplines, architecture and security and thinking through how you're gonna govern the creation, you know, govern's a you know lofty word that I think people sort of roll their eyes at, but who's gonna approve? You know, how are you gonna approve um, you know, big new spend? before it happens, um, how are you going to forecast? All those kinds of things, I think, you know, some of the traditional, the good things about those disciplines have gone lost. So I think there's a whole host of reasons, Dustin, you know, and I could go on and on. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I I think that, you know, if you think about the old data center model where there was limited capacity, um, my experience was developers and consumers of the infrastructure would just continue to push until there was no more to consume. And then, of course, they would ring the alarm bell and say, hey, you know, the environments mm-hmm. aren't working or right. And so as long as there was no point of resistance, they never they never raised a fuss. And so now there's no resistors, right, because in their minds, capacity is unlimited. The, the thought of kind of turning on the spigot and the fact that water comes out, but there's no thought going into who pays for that water, right? And so, not initially. Right. Yeah, yeah, you're right. We got we got to put. It, but so, how we put guardrails around that while still encouraging those developers to uh, continue to produce good products and services that we, and that we don't disrupt that flow, but that we make it a, a a model that works for everybody. I think is the real challenge and. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on where you've seen organizations be successful, where you've seen them fail. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, as you know, we talk to gardeners and foresters and various research companies, and I think they, you know, have done lots of, you know, surveys, and more than half the companies know they're overspending. Um, but they don't really know how, you know, they're also saying they don't really know how to go about sort of methodically controlling expand, right? But it's a major focus for them, as you said. So, you know, what what can be done? I think, you know, in some ways, it's about building a you know a cost um, centric, cost management, cost aware culture, right? Um, as you go, um, and really sort of trying to build that in into how you go about architecting. Um, you know, if you look at you know, any of the cloud providers' best practices cost, you know, total cost of ownership and cost control is one of the best practices, right? So, and there's all kinds of ways that you can reduce cost, right, uh, in the cloud. But I think that gets lost in the in the frenzy to, to get there and to, you know, achieve some of the other things, the speed that business wants to move at. And then, you know, it, it, gets, it gets more difficult, just like in the traditional model once you get something into production it's a lot more difficult than to uh, change it right you're now in support mode so if you can do the things up right up front to get the architecture right uh, you're in much better in a much better situation having said that there's a there's a bunch of things you can do 
rapidly to save typically big chunks of money right so the first of which is you know discounting right what sort of you know um, credits and other things like that you know by buying ahead you know reserved instances those sort of things what can you do to quickly save yourself some money because the part that really should worry people or you know worry people is that or should be you should be thinking about is it's sort of time versus money every month that's going by you continue to overspend right and you're not going to get that money back it's not like if you bought twice as many servers as you needed you could go sell them you might get a reduced amount but if you spent the money with the cloud provider you've spent it you're not getting it back so you know i always sort of think about short term long term what can we do in a situation in the short term to grab some you know quite often very significant additional uh, initial savings while also talking about what we can do in the longer term so let's do the easy stuff the low hanging fruit the quick wins and then while we're doing that let's also think about what we can do longer term um and it's almost endless because things are improving the whole time right and they're all driving down cost i mean that's the great thing about the cloud is the cloud providers are reducing their cost all the time so if you can sort of architect and stay up with things you can continue to stay take advantage of that oh for sure for sure you know and one of the things that comes to mind too there's kind of two levels of architecture that that are front of mind for me and if you harken back to the the last podcast that I did where we talked about cloud first means people first, there's there's architecting on your technology and then there's art also architecting your people and process. And right. I have found that, you know, even though costs may or may not be a driver for behaviors on people, that there there are ways to involve them in the um, in the reduction of this. And 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 I've I've even gone so far in organizations where I work for is to say, okay. You know, organizations that provide the or, or scrum teams that provide the best output, but can also maintain their costs within these guardrails, like there's a reward system for that. Right. And then mm-hmm. and then you turn it into a co-opetition where you start keeping score on it and you put a scoreboard up there and, and the people look at that. They do. And teams are motivated by success, not only getting their code into production faster, but also how they compare to the rest of their uh, their peers in the organization. And and so I found that even some of that people architecture, that culture oh, architecture goes a long completely. way. Completely. Yeah. I mean, you, you right there describe how to uh, create a cost centric culture, right? By making it sort of competitive and fun, right? Yeah. And then, it, then it kind of takes off. Yeah. And I, I think that the one thing that I like to encourage any of our, our executive leaders to think about is you pick a metric or two, but don't don't pick too many. Right. Because they're, mm-hmm. it becomes hard to handle but and measure it and, and keep score on it. And make that score really public, but then come back and then adjust on it. Right. But have mm-hmm. a reward structure in place and it doesn't need to be anything dramatic, but that reward structure where it could be anything as simple as a Starbucks card to, you know, your name that goes on this trophy that gets passed around and and it, it, you do turn it into something fun and culturally people start to rally around it yeah yeah no and um i mean it, it's amazing how things like that will take off in an organization and you know it, it sort of breeds success and gets people away from the sort of overwhelming complexity of the the big picture right there are so many things you can do sure. <laughs> pick a few and focus yeah. on that. And that's why I say, look, you know, look for the low hanging fruit, the things that you can 
make some big strides with pretty easily. And what you just described is going to do that because people are going to try to find the stuff that they can do the quickest and the easiest to come out at the top of the list, right? Yeah, and then there's other things too from a technology perspective we can obviously do, right? Leveraging things like spot instances inside of AWS rather than having to go to reserved instances for, or even or even on-demand instances for uh, point-in-time testing or development is is maybe one sure. way. But also, you know, I really think a lot about, and I'm sure you do too, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on how does automation play a role in the cost cutting that people need to bake into their architecture? Yeah, I mean, automation, it is very beneficial. It's sort of an example of good engineering principles in many ways in that you go a little slower to go faster, right? Because if you've got a, if you've got automation and you have infrastructure as code for an environment, you are confident about ripping that, you know, shutting that environment down and restarting it. And that allows you to make changes and make improvements and recreate things. It removes the fear, right? If you've got an environment that's come up that was built manually by a bunch of people who may not be in your company anymore, et cetera, you're very fearful of making any changes. And it may be that it's costing you a lot, but the consequence of error or changing it and not working is even greater. So you live with this over on the cost because you, you're fearful of not being able to recreate it. So if you've got automation, you can create the environment, you can create a like environment in another, you know, in a test area and start making changes and compare and contrast, you know, the architecture and the span and those, those, are, those kinds of things. So if you take a kind of, a, yeah, an automation approach that is truly a sort of engineered coding approach, it's beneficial in many, many ways. And cost control is just one of them because, you know, security too, you can make sure the environments are stamped out the same, they're highly secure, right? So, you know, that sort of um, approach, and again, it's almost cultural, it's a mindset, it's sort of getting it built into your culture that you you do not start out with them, you know, okay, let's just put, create this environment by hand and we'll come back later and automate because that seldom happens. It's we're going to, from the beginning, use you know code and infrastructure and scripting to automate this environment. Yeah, I am. I every executive I talk to, I, I mention, hey, logging in, logging into a console is really a break the glass activity, right? You should be thinking mm-hmm. about how do I do everything as code and looking at all six layers of the platform: the infrastructure, application, data, security, policy, and pipeline. And, and once you get there, organizations, to your point, you made this earlier, you know, not only are you reducing costs, you're reducing risk and you're reducing security oh, vulnerabilities, which also are huge, you know, they're, they're, they're lagging indicators of cost increases, but, <laughs> but yeah. certainly if you can control those up front and you pay dividends on the back end. If your infrastructure, you know, another lofty word is immutable in that you can't change it. So you, you don't go on and patch, you don't even log into servers to make changes, you just um, kill them and bring up new ones. You know? Yeah, rip them um, place, right. Yeah, and you do that using code. You know, now what? You know, you're going to be able to rapidly make changes. You know that you, you you don't have to worry about security issues. You're not spending money on you know a bunch of people pouring through logs because you're not having events. You know, um, so you, you to your point, you're you're saving money in other places that you are not just your AWS or Azure bill, 
it's your, you know, the amount of people you've got sitting around monitoring things goes way down because you just don't, things are not happening, right? Yeah. yeah. In a good way. Have, and if you don't have a security incident, you've got far fewer penalties you got to pay and customers mm -hmm. are happier, right? So, I mean, mm -hmm. we, we think about net promoter score and customer retention and customer experience and, uh, you know, surely organizations are measuring that, but the costs that come with losing customers over bad deployments, oh boy. Yeah, and if, exactly, if you're sort of focused on, you know, another pillar, operational excellence, right, in that your deployments ex are extremely smooth uh, and regular and automated, then, you know, you don't have things failing in the middle of the night and people hacking in to just get something running and, you know, or having to, you know, they upsize the size of servers just to get them to run. Now that you got bigger bills and potential security holes because they made changes. So, you know, a lot of these best practices, you know, cost savings, performance, operational excellence, um, security are all woven together, right? In the way you use automation infrastructure as code and just generally use sort of solid engineering principles behind this. So John and listening there, there you hit on a lot of the critical components of any well-architected uh, environment. And, and in order to look at not only cost savings, but also, you know, reducing risk in the other areas, I think about kind of yeah, how do our organizations become more excellent operationally? How do they look at security holistically and reliability and performance and costs are all part and parcel to um, that, that really strong customer experience. And so what, what kind of trends are you seeing around how organizations analyze their, their environments for, and what are the best practices for, for hitting on all those critical components to a platform? Um, well, I mean, tools, yeah, are a good way to start. So, you know, using various, you know, whatever the platform is, using the tools that are available to do monitoring and assessments of environments is a way that we typically start. What they have, you know, what's running, how's it doing, you know, what things can we see as far as any issues, and then starting to sort of um, talk about those to understand where those kind of overlap with the most critical um, areas of their business, right? So yeah. this is, you know, we've talked a lot about technology and a lot about tech, 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 right? What I we really try and do is understand the business, to really understand the broader uh, business context, um, the rhythms of their business. You know, is it something where you get, you know, big weekly surges, monthly, quarterly, you know, really sort of understand that and then look at the technology and this, you know, does cloud or anything um, and see how the how technology is sort of overall enabling their business or constraining it or a mixture of the two, right? And then identify you know, changes that will solve multiple problems, right? So so this then sort of, obviously cost is always a big, a big thing, right? Because if you can free up money, you can then start to do, do things with it, right? To then yeah. make improvements in other areas. Um, particularly, you know, COVID has, has really impacted, obviously, a lot of people, both 
in negative ways, but also positive. I mean, it's created changes, you know, that's, that ultimately I think are going to make the world better. I mean, people. Oh, yeah. Remotely. The mother of invention, right? Exactly. So, you know, bandwidth and all those things is going to improve and secure, you know, CISO security offices suddenly have 5,000 office locations to secure rather than one because all their people are working remotely. Well, that's a major headache initially, but it's going to lead to much, you know, improved offerings and, you know, at better prices and all of that. So um, right now, a lot of the world is, you know, a lot of things are thrown up in the air and there's all kinds of change going on, but it's, it's a great opportunity to make some improvements, right? It is. You know, one of the things that I keyed in on that you were talking about, and it seems so obvious, but a lot of organizations miss it, is, you know, how is the work that the technology organizations are doing, whether they be IT or they be their engineering organization or a contribution of both, um, how are they affecting and, and impacting the overall success of the business? And one of the things that, that kind of dawned on me is you said that I hear organizations, especially IT organizations, say a lot, oh, you know, we need to find out what the business wants. And, and one of the things I encourage, especially technology leaders, is to get out of that mindset of thinking about what the business wants. Instead, think about themselves as an integral part of the business. I once told um, one of my one of the, the people that I, is kind of in a, a group that I meet with regularly, bounce ideas off of, and I he, he wasn't quite grasping this concept. And I said, well, next time you don't think you're part of the business, tell your entire organization to take a three-month sabbatical and see how well the business actually functions, right? And so I know it sounds like a, a kind of an obvious thing, but if organizations, you know, we talk about making that culture shift, if you really consider yourself as a technology provider, within an organization, integral and an integrated part of the business, um, then you get more visibility into what's going on from everything from cost to security to risk. And then that that, that trickles down and it starts to embed itself into the culture of the rest of your organization and how you behave and, and how people contribute to the success. Um, so it, it just, it seems obvious to me, but it's, and it's obvious to a lot of folks, but it's interesting that we don't necessarily behave that way all the time. No, I, I mean, you get caught up in so many things, right? There's so much yeah. moving. So, um, you know, you made the point earlier about simplifying, choosing a few things. I, I yeah. think, yeah, being able to sort of separate concerns and then focus and measure and really gain ownership across your organization. So pulling in the right people into these initiatives around cost you know and all of that so that because you know in in many ways we've we've still got a we've got a sort of culture in it that's still quite separate from financial aspects of the company from you know from the accounting and we you know we measure cost in certain ways and it, it's not integrated with the systems that the accounting teams use generally right but if you can understand, and this is generally how I approach it, is you know how are those teams looking, the accounting and financial teams looking to budget and account, and you know how does an organization, when we work with them, how do you, how are you funded, how are you with public sector organizations that I work with, where does you, you know, do you get grants, do you get, understand that because the opex model is more difficult 
for organizations that are funded in certain ways than it is for others. So, you know, and then there's actually sometimes, well, okay, so you really want to go with more of a CapEx model? Well, do that. You'll buy ahead and you'll get extreme discounts. So, you know, if you can get to understand the key decision makers in an organization and what is on their agenda and how they look at the world of cost, I think you can then start to get everybody talking in a common language, right? A common vocabulary across those different areas. And then it's not this, you know, sort of mystical cloud thing that it's you know, yeah. told as, okay, this is just going to be this panacea that's going to solve all your problems. And nobody buys into that. I mean, that, you know, every new technology is kind of positioned that way, right? And nobody believes it, quite rightly. No. So you got to sort of show the, the things that will be beneficial and quite frankly, the things that are going to be more difficult. Because if you look at, for example, a traditional sort of server environment with batch cycles and things like that, it's very old school, but it's pretty easy to understand. Things get processed at a certain time of day. You know, this job does this and this does this, and it's not very complex to understand. Whereas a serverless environment, you've got something coming up and running a piece of logic for a nanosecond, right? You're hardly spending anything on it. That's great. But how do you troubleshoot, debug, monitor that? It's much more complex. You know, you know, um, if you don't sort of think about it and set it up and monitor it in the right way going forward. So, so there are pros and cons to everything, right? And I think if you can get the the um, some level of awareness and education across the, the organization, to your point, so that it's not IT separate from the business people jointly owning and making decisions, the governance, right? You've got the you know, the CFO, the CEO, the head of whatever business group leaning in and owning the overall plan and, you know, the, the action plan, right? It's not just IT saying, trying to browbeat them into doing something. And then when it fails, it's IT's fault. It's jointly owned, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, when, as I listen to you talk, really, it's about demystifying things by direction, mm-hmm. right? Often, yeah, often the technology organizations don't necessarily understand how the finances work. And certainly the financial people, they're, they're the first ones to throw up their hands and say, I don't I don't de- uh, declare myself any kind of technology expert here. And then it's usually followed up with, but I'm going to tell you how much you have to spend on these things. Right. And, right. and in that old CapEx model where they go and buy the infrastructure, it was just like, well, here's the capacity you have. Figure out how uh, how to uh, to make it work. And now if we kind of go back to automation and the ability to tag instances and and demystify where resources are actually being spent, your financial team gets better visibility into the cost modeling of the consumption. And now your technology teams start to think about the expense associated with that. And now all of a sudden you start speaking a common language. Right. And that's really where we get to the, the, the art of FinOps, right? Yeah, 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 and and you can start to apply things like tagging and you know yep. uh, chargeback, showback, and things like that, yep. um, that to really sort of start to measure, predict, forecast, um, and gain some control and confidence. So I think it it's like many things: crawl, walk, run. You know, you build yeah. it in in phases. Well, this has been a great chat. I, I'd love to leave 
folks with a call to action. Uh, I'll, I'll give mine, then I'd love to hear yours. Uh, you know, so my call to action to anybody who's listening to this is there's invariably ways to save money. Um, I recommend highly starting with that, building a culture, which is established on understanding what motivates your people and how to encourage them to think about ways where they can be part of the cost savings effort and uh, look for the right kinds of partnerships to uh, pro help proliferate that and establish good behaviors and hygiene up front. Uh, that'd be my call to action for uh, anyone listening. John, anything you want to throw out? Yeah, Justin, my, my call to action is just do something. Don't sort of um, let time go by because each month that's ticking, you are overspending. So address, pick an area, address something, and then at least start some movement within your company. John, great conversation today. I want to thank you. I also want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in. I would encourage everybody to go get more information up at intervision.com. What a great conversation full of information. Like Dustin said, go to intervision.com to learn more. We'll also include a link in the show notes to our upcoming webinar, Optimize Your AWS Investment, Practical Guidance to Simplify Cloud Costs. You won't want to miss it. As always, thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Status Go podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or get more information at intervision.com. If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, find Intervision on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. Until next time.